In preparation for today's message, we shall be reading from the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verses 14 to 19. Remind them of these things, and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing the seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Good morning. We are on a mini-series of our core values, the first core value of GCF. As found in our bylaws is the centrality of God's Word. And in the past two weeks, the sermons have been about the Word of God. And this is the third week that we are going to focus on the importance of the Word of God. It's not only important for us, it is central for us. Today's sermon is found in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 to 19, and the title is Approved by God. Approved by God. Timothy must continue to pass on what he learned, what he learned from Paul. Remember, Timothy, 2 Timothy is the last letter of Paul before he was executed in Rome. That's why this book is loaded. I believe it is very important. These are the words of a man who knew he was about to die and he was, he was sending a message to his mentee, somebody he discipled, he mentored for many years, who has been his partner uh, to a point he considers Timothy a son in the Lord. Timothy must continue to pass on what he learned, how? By teaching faithful men. Who will teach other faithful men? And that is found in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Verse 2, and such is the way we are doing it today. We look for people who are faithful to the Lord and faithful to his community. And we teach them and we expect them to teach others and so on and so forth. And through that manner, the gospel has come here to the shores of the Philippines. And uh, because of that, we continue to make disciples. Paul instructed Timothy to remain committed to the mission. He illustrated his message using the imagery of a soldier, athlete, and a farmer. And we find that in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, verses 3 to 7. And uh, if you look at the imagery of a soldier, a soldier is not concerned by the regular affairs of citizens. 
a soldier is different from a citizen. Well, a soldier is a citizen, but he has this role that is different and his lifestyle is different. He would often be away from his family so that they would be stationed in certain areas where they can form a defense or offense against the enemy. Now, also be an athlete, and we know an athlete has a different kind of commitment to a certain sport or a certain competition, and the athlete trains almost every day. And he say, be like an athlete and be like the farmer. The farmer who is diligent is the one who will be rewarded by good crops. Now, Paul used also used himself as an example of dedication despite suffering, including imprisonment. And you find that in chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. He's saying, look at me. By being faithful, I was even imprisoned. And he made himself as an example as being prepared to suffer for the gospel of Christ. Paul then wrote some poetic words reflecting the blessings of the Messiah. You'll find that in chapter 2, verses 11 to 13. And ultimately, he mentioned that it is God's grace that would give Timothy the understanding. The same way all of us, if we do understand something from the Word of God, something we send something spiritual, deeply spiritual there, it is the grace of God that allows us to experience that. If we have no sense of that, no matter how you read, or you don't even read, then, my friends, you need the grace of God. And uh, there's the human understanding level, which this can be taught like in a classroom. And then there's that spiritual level that goes beyond uh, the surface of the mind uh, down to the deep recesses of the soul and the spirit. And that only happens by the grace of God. And that's why we remind ourselves, us preachers or teachers of the word, that we can teach, but we cannot change lives. Only the Holy Spirit, the grace of God, can do that. Only the grace of God, the gospel of Christ, by the Spirit of God, can save people from the depths of hell and even from the depths of what we encounter as, as torments in the soul, including depression, oppression that we feel within. It is by the grace of of God only. Each of us who teach God's word to others, even a single soul, know that the power is not, does not lie within us. The power lies in the purity of the message we preach and the Holy Spirit who is at work. Never us. We never rely on our, our basic skills. Although we want to sharpen ourselves to be clear in the presentation of God's word, we sharpen our minds, but we know ultimately we are instruments to give clarity, but it is the grace of God that truly gives understanding. It is God's grace that will make us understand His will and ways. Well, in our hearts, we should remain faithful to the mission until the end. As Paul was telling Timothy, be faithful I am faithful even right now. He said, I'm being poured out. I, he was saying, I'm about to die. I have finished the course. I have run the, ra I have run the race. And, and, and this is it. This is the end. God 
will be faithful until the end because he cannot deny himself. Now, three things I'd like to share for me from the text we read. Number one is to warn. Warn. Paul instructed Timothy to remind them of sound doctrine and to stop unhealthy discussions that lead to sin. Moreover, Paul mentioned Hymenaeus and Philetus, people who have swerved to false teaching. And we find this in chapter 14 of chapter 2 and then 16 to 18. So why don't we read chapter 2, verses 14, and then 16 to 18. Now, verse 14, it says, Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Now, just observe this. It says, remind them of these things and charge them before God. Don't quarrel about words, which does no good. But what does it do? It ruins. So remind them. Paul was telling Timothy to remind them of what? Well, don't quarrel about with words. It's no good. It leads to the ruin of hearers. What words? Is it the quarrel about issues at the home? No, 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 no. This is about false teaching. Sometimes there's a lot of quarrel about that to a point that it wastes time. And then we must stop false teaching in our community. We address it. We explain it. And uh, we, that's why we teach everybody to learn to study by context. We teach you the simple things, like if we simplify how to study a text, is first to observe what's in the text. Just observe what's there. It says, Paul told him, remind them of these things and charge them before God. Before who? Before God. He, Timothy must speak in the name of God. What to do? Uh, not to quarrel. Not to quarrel about words, which does no good. And... Uh, but can only lead to the ruin of the hearers. Now, there are times I go to churches where they debate a lot of things they have studied so little. I mean, just because you, you went through a little course or you read a few things, uh, you think you know. Now, the term research today has changed. When you say research it, it actually, what people are saying, I've Googled it. Now, you talk to a researcher, it means more than that. It means extensive reading on peer-reviewed articles and journals. It means studying a long line of people who wrote and believed that and those who went against it and those who believed it. That takes a lot of time. But some, because they read a little bit, act like experts. It's okay to say, I'm not an expert, but I read somewhere and I cannot prove if it's a peer-reviewed journal. It means you're saying just what? You observe, but it doesn't carry much weight. But one who has taken the time to really study several scholars and their perspectives, then that adds more weight. Now, there were people in certain churches today and then who argue a lot on doctrine, but if you ask them the amount of material that they have studied or the kind of context study they made in the scripture, 
it is close to nothing. What they did was simply looking at verses everywhere and connecting them without really studying the background of each verse that they cite. Now remind them to stop this quarrel. Stop it. I'm glad that I do not observe that in our community. Perhaps, perhaps by God's grace, we have learned to really take in the time to observe. First you observe, and then what? You interpret. Interp how do you interpret? Interpret based on what the intention of the author is. Paul wrote this letter. So we have to try to get the meaning out of Paul, not out of me. We don't, I don't push what I think immediately. I don't react immediately to the word I read. Paul wrote this to Timothy, and by learning some history, we know that he was about to die. By learning some history, we know that Paul mentored Timothy. By, by learning certain background, we know that Paul at one time left Timothy in Ephesus so that he can pastor the work there that they started. By looking more on the background, we understand who Paul is as well, that he was a Pharisee means he knows the Jewish law very well, but he was also a Roman citizen. We also understand by context that Paul was uh, traveled from place to place preaching the gospel, uh, something we call like a missionary today, and he formed church communities. And we understand by context that Paul believed in Jesus Christ and he knew Jesus Christ not like Peter, James, and John and the rest of the apostles. He met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus in a glorious revelation that blinded him. And what was he then? He was the persecutor of the church. He wanted to imprison them. He wanted to make the church of Jesus Christ suffer. That was his intent when he met the Lord Jesus Christ. We know who Paul the Apostle was. And his words carry a lot of weight. By knowing that somehow we understand that there is a relationship, a relationship between brothers here, but one being a mentor and one being a mentee. So by understanding that somehow each word each word we appreciate more on what it means. Now, some people go around with words. What do they do? That's why I don't like the words when you study scripture and then you share. Sa tingin ko lang. It means you have not studied enough. You have to say, based on so far that I have Observed in the context, this is what I can say. That's a better statement. Now, because some of us are so lazy. Now, if you're lazy and you like to debate, please stop it. You are ruining yourself and others. Verse 16, if we read this, uh, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. 
Now, Paul made an example of two people who have moved to false teaching, and what they were teaching was that the resurrection, not the resurrection of Jesus Christ, by the way, the resurrection of the dead saints, of the dead believers, has already happened. Because there is, in the, Old Test in the New Testament, I mean in Revelations, clearly, John, in Revelations, believed, the writer of Revelations, believed in such resurrection, that we who are dead in Christ, our physical bodies, will be resurrected someday as uh, similar to that which is Christ, but not the same because he is gone. But he, is, he, he shows that uh, even Paul believed that it's not only the soul that is being saved, but one day even the dead physical being shall be saved. So there's somebody who's mentioning two people who swerved and they were teaching the wrong thing. And it's spreading like gangrene. Well, I think we more are familiar with cancer these days, which it spreads all over the body. Somehow we have learned to control gangrene. But in terms of cancer, it's something that spreads all over the body. So careless, careless talk about doctrine leads to ungodliness and it spreads like gangrene. But what is a good way to talk about it? It's a, the good way to talk about it is when we study and discover and learn doctrine and even critique what we believe, critique what others teach in a context study and, uh, and see if it is within context through an inductive study and both an inductive study and a deductive study. An inductive study is from within the text we grow out. And a deductive study is looking at the theme, a general theme of Scripture, and looking at all the details. Please do not be overwhelmed. That's why we're taking our learning step by step. You will be overwhelmed if you look at the, all of Scripture. And uh, I have resigned myself to say, when I say resigned, I have accepted it that it is a lifetime of study. If there is a wish, if I want to live forever on earth, I don't have that wish, but if ever there is, it's because it's to study God's word. However, they, there would be a shortcut. If I, if I meet the Lord, I can ask him directly. Or probably I'll meet Paul and say, Paul, did you really mean what you mean? And did I teach it the right way? <laughs> It's for clarification, and, and that's what we do here today, right? If we, to avoid miscommunication, we ask people, is this what you mean? I just want to clarify. I don't want to jump to conclusions, but is this what you mean? And by trying to learn what one somebody means, then it, it removes that barrier. However, people are not perfect. Our communication is not perfect, and our understanding is not perfect. So just like for some of us, you, we cannot process the details. We have to begin processing the details. If somebody says he is one of the best, please do not accept it as he is the best. Some people do that. There's this skip in the mind. When you say one of the best, he's not saying he's the best. He's saying he's one of them. We have top 10 here and he's one of the best. That doesn't mean he's the best. Probably he is, but probably he's not. When you say but if you interpret it because your mind is lazy to clarify, 
and then you will be led to mistakes. And that's when we study scripture, we, we try to look at these details because these details can change the meaning. If you miss out on, that's why we, we look here. We, we look at the text and we observe. And that when we realize these truths, we know how powerful they are in the changing of lives. Now, if you observe here, Paul mentioned specific people. And I feel obliged because of studying this text that later on I have to mention specific people today who are in this day and age, it's the internet that made pe makes people popular. And, uh, and my concern, if it's streaming into your homes or streaming into your mind, without you learning to, like a Berean, carefully assess and critique every word that a preacher states. And that includes me and those who preach here. Now, with this warning, the application would be remember sound doctrine and avoid unhealthy discussions that lead to sin, especially false teaching. Now, stop bragging about your knowledge by engaging in unfruitful discussion. Some people do discuss because they just want to show they know something. We're no longer in the classroom. And I'm not your teacher in the classroom that gives you grades, nor the people there, but we carry that habit. Some of us carry that habit from being in class to brag about their no our knowledge so that we can get more points. Well, we're not bragging, we just want the points. And somehow to show a bit, that the, to impress the teacher that we understand. We're not in that setting. We're in the setting that we must be careful with what we say, but we should also speak out. But you can only be confident in what you say about God's word when we take the time to observe and an eye is to interpret based on the historical context and the, the literary context. And then A is application. Now, after you observe, interpret, and apply, or see the application, I'm, I'm sorry, after you observe and interpret, that's the only time you can say, how does this apply to me? How does this apply to me? Because you cannot jump to conclusions. Avoid jumping, for example. Gideon uh, needed to hear if it is really God's will for him to fight. So he put up a fleece on, on, on the ground and said, If it is you, Lord, uh, let the ground be wet and the fleece be dry, and vice versa the next day. And, uh, uh, oh, I'll do the same thing. I'll put out a carpet outside, and Lord, if this is dry, if this is wet, no. <laughs> you're jumping to conclusion on how to apply that thing. That only happened once in Scripture. Once in Scripture. That's not the consistent thing to determine God's will. Of course, the consistent thing to do today is to know God's Word and to live by grace, sanctified by His Spirit and His Word, then we clearly understand God's will. The propagation of false teaching leads to the ruin of listeners. Thus, we should address it in its smallest forms. It begins with a little inaccuracy, but little inaccuracies can compound, and it will eventually lead to a serious error in doctrine. Little inaccuracies can compound, and will eventually lead to serious error 
in doctrine. That's why I encourage you, take the time to really engage God's word, study. Why? Because the less you know, the more prone to error you will be. And we don't want that. Now, not to proclaim God's word is also a sin. So where does that put us? The, it, the only way is to study carefully and proclaim God's word. But no, our culture does not teach studying God's word. It is made second class. In fact, some will say, isn't it the church that made the Bible? Uh, well, that's not entirely true. Remember, Acts chapter 2 is the birth of the church at Pentecost, and Peter preached, and then 3,000 were saved. How were they saved? That was the birth of the church. It was the gospel. Peter, empowered by the Spirit, proclaimed the word, the gospel. Thus, the church was formed. So I'd like to say the church was formed by the word of God. As the earth was created by the word of God, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And the church was formed through the preaching of the gospel. So we cannot say, some will argue with you, uh, it's just the church, so the church can dictate and disagree with the Bible. That is a very dangerous proposition. It's a way to justify their error of the tradition that they hold to. For example, it is clearly stated that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. It's clearly stated in Scripture that there is only one mediator between God and man, and that is Christ Jesus. Scripture is also clear that there is no salvation in any other name except the name of Christ. Now, you put another name there as mediatrix, a little mediator. Now, that's not in the Bible. And, and that's a serious error. A serious error. So, we have to warn, as Paul told Timothy, warn them. So we warn. Number two, we study. Paul instructed Timothy to do his best to gain God's approval as a worker. Other translations give the thought that Timothy should study to be approved by God. The result, removing the shame because he can rightly handle the word. And let's read verse 15, chapter 2 of 2 Timothy do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Now, the Nasbi would say, be diligent to show yourself. And I believe the King James, it's the King James who said, study to show yourself approved unto God. But even if the word study is not there, it's in the latter part of the verse. What's the latter part? Rightly handling the word of truth. The NASB said, the NASB version said, accurately handling the word of truth. Accurately handling the word of truth. Now, all who want to serve the Lord in whatever capacity should study God's word. 
God approves of workers who rightly handle the word of truth, which also means accurately dividing the word of truth. Now look at verse 15 again. It says, do your best for what? To show yourself to God. Observe it carefully. To show yourself to God. For what? To be approved of God. Oh, so we must gain God's approval. Praise God, this is not necessarily about salvation because salvation is fully the work of Christ. Now, he's saying to Timothy, show yourself approved to God. How do we show ourselves as a worker? Now, the, it's a very interesting thing as a worker. Now, some of you will interpret this to be using our modern culture or modern church culture that we have pastors and there are workers who volunteer. They are the workers. I'm not part of that. Now, that's a misconception on your part because then Paul intended every believer, as you, it would be confirmed in Ephesians 4, that every believer must be equipped. The purpose of leaders is to equip God's people to do the work of service. The worker here is applicable not only to Timothy, but to every believer. I hope you say in yourself, I am a worker of God. And when we say worker, it doesn't mean I belong to this committee. And, but we welcome you in the committees of the church. Just ask our, our, our staff here, can I join in any committee to serve? You're most welcome. We need people greeting us and uh, taking the, the temperature. And, uh, and when we leave, we want people to welcome newcomers as well. There are areas of, of, of service, but that's not the main work. The main work is what? The proclamation of the gospel and teaching other people the word of God. That is the main work. We can all serve in different ways. We can so serve in music. That's fantastic. We can serve in, in maintenance of the church. That's fantastic. And we should serve. However, let me say that the real work is a proclamation of the gospel and teaching others the truth. Now, it's a wonderful phrasing what Paul said. Be approved of God as a worker that doesn't have to be ashamed. Now, where does shame come in? Shame comes in if you do not handle the word of truth carefully. That is shame before God. And one day, many of us will be ashamed. For he shall reveal it. As a young pastor, when I was young, not as a young pastor, now when I was much younger, I was more, I was careless. There are some areas that I was careful, but I realize right now, the more I study, that wait a minute. I began to be a strong critic of myself, and that's where it begins. Not a strong critic of others and the beliefs of others, but a strong critic on myself as I studied God's Word. And it was liberating to be more critical of me than others. Trust me, try it. Be more critical of yourselves without going to the point of depression, please. That's not what I mean. It's not when I say, when you say criticize, I am useless, I am good for nothing. That's not what I mean. I mean, this is what I believe. Now, can I really support that in Scripture? I have to recheck it. And I realize there are things that 
that I had to change. Well, all who want to serve the Lord, and I hope that every one of us here, who want to serve the Lord in whatever capacity should study God's word. God approves the workers who rightly handle the word of truth. Again, which also means accurately dividing the word of truth. Now, how do we apply this? Well, let us study to be approved by God as a worker or as a minister. It is shameful for a worker or pastor not to handle the word of God correctly. To handle it properly means to handle it accurately. We have to because we will be put to shame, sometimes even on earth. We should never take God's word lightly and we should never teach flippantly. Flippantly. Every preacher believes that to be expert is like a lifetime. A lifetime is not enough. So every true scholar of the word of God must humble himself to, uh, to say that I am continuously learning. But as I learn, there are things that I'm more confident and strong about, yet I still continue to learn. There's much to learn. There's much to discover in the Word of God. After 30 years of, of reading the Word of God and studying the Word of God, I would say I have barely scratched the surface. And I am amazed when I hear others explain because they, they were, were able to study an angle that I have not studied. Therefore, I try to study that as well. We're trying to build a library here in church and hopefully when it is ready you will read it and there's a lot of good books that we are buying some of them are easy to understand some of them are more technical because there is a higher way of interpretation a more technical way and uh, some of us I pray would 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 delve into that and instead of wasting your time in other books like a young person said I'm always with a book. It's Facebook. That's not a book. And maybe half of what you read there is nonsense. Um, but again, we, we continue. And if, if, if I get some correction from you, I, I appreciate it. I do appreciate it. We just, I'm just happy that our community maintains mutual respect and we do correct one another as much as possible with respect. Uh, and to say, brother, I think that was not as accurate as probably not as accurate. Give, let me give you my reasons. And, and that's a fantastic thing. But no correction is not good. We studied two weeks ago, all scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for correction as well. Not only correction, correcting morality, our immoral ways, not only correcting that, but correcting how we, what we believed. Why do we believe that? Is it just because you were influenced by some teacher when you were young and you held on to it, but you never really critiqued it? Yes, many of us believe something that we never really critiqued. I have shared to you the story of me talking to a, an, a person who claims to be an atheist. He said he was in church when he was young. He's no longer a Christian because he's an atheist. And I said, okay, let's, let's talk about it. 
instead of me saying, how foolish of you being an atheist, I didn't say that, I wanted to hear him. So why are you an atheist? Why do you not believe in the existence of God? And he said, science. Then I challenge him, please, this is the whiteboard. Explain to me. Of course, definitely, he went to evolution. Then I ask him, are you a rational person? He claimed to be, he is, he thinks. Okay, so let me ask you. So you say, somewhere in time was a single cell that is our origin. And it just happened that there was a cell. Where did the cell come from? because that was a dead end. And I said, is it rational that something can come out of nothing? We ended up, me justifying the existence of an eternal solves most of the issues. And after our discussion, he said, I will go to church again. Because I critiqued what he believed. Why do you believe that? Where do you justify the transition from one to another after millions of years? Can you observe that? Have we observed that? Or the claims of today, it's still being contested. There's a book by Berlinski, and he critiqued the parts of the university who believe there is no God. And when he started a discussion with them, most of them do not want a discussion. He said, well, then you are acting more like a religion. And what you believe seems to be doctrine. So I said, to the young man, what you believe in is a matter of faith. When you say there is no God, I ask you rational questions and you had a difficult time, which is to the point you cannot prove there is a God and you cannot prove there is no God. Therefore what? Both exercise faith. But I said, I'd rather believe there is a God and I feel within me a confirmation that there is a God. I have also studied, tried to understand rationality, and I ended up there. So the truth is, many people believe what they believe, not because they studied it carefully, but there are those who studied it carefully. And that's why we must study carefully as well. Now, how do we study? Be contextual students of God's Word. And I encourage the growth group leaders to elevate in your learning and elevate in your explanation of the text. Don't just stick to the impact of last Sunday to me is, 
And this is what I like to share. No, you go back to what does the text say? What is the author saying? And how does that, how do we now believe in that? Now, Paul mentioned Hymenaeus in Philetus. Now, I feel compelled to give you a short list of names, but I think to have a long list deserves a seminar, not a Sunday preaching. But let me just mention, uh, here is a short list of false teachers. They claim to be evangelicals, uh, but they're not. And uh, it is not only I who put them on this list. There are different people who also carefully study theology, who put them on their list, and I'm not alone. But if ever, but I will stick to, to international preachers that penetrate many nations. Of course, locally, you already know many of those who claim, anybody who claims that he is the replacement of Jesus Christ on earth, the sole replacement, you already brush it off. So I don't have to mention that, correct? Because that's just crazy. Uh, Bill Johnson, popular guy in YouTube, Bethel, okay? Uh, there is no time to discuss to you a long line of things he mentioned, but one of the dangerous things he says, well, it sounds nice, Jesus Christ is good theology. If I don't see Jesus Christ doing it, then uh, then, uh, then it, it's not good. Uh, now you have limited yourselves to the to the four gospels. Then you rejected the unity of Scripture. You forgot the Trinity, the role of Father, Son, and Spirit throughout Scripture, and the role of Father, Son, and Spirit in terms of salvation. So if he, I didn't see Jesus destroy a city. So what about Sodom and Gomorrah? when his father destroyed a city. What about that? But then there's a still a long line of statements he has made. And it's not more of the statements, it's their practice. You know, they go to the graveyard of, of great men of God and they try to absorb the anointing. Yeah, yeah, it's grave sucking. So there's a lot of practice um, there are statements like, if a church does not practice healing, that is not the church of Jesus Christ. And he wears thick glasses, by the way. So, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't get that. Your, your eyes are not healed, and then you're saying... Uh, Stephen Furtick is one of the most dangerous. Steve Elevation. And they have a nice praise and worship as well. Uh, and you can just go online, you just type Stephen Furtick, false teachings, and you'll see a long line of it. Dangerous. Of course, Joel Osteen, the smiling preacher, used the power of the I am, meaning they're so focused on the human, as, as if God exists for our needs. That's been, and there's no contextual study and Joseph Prince, and he's known for hyper-grace. That is bordering or is actually into antinomianism already, and that is what Paul was saying. Should we continue to sin so that grace may increase? Certainly not. No, certainly not. Uh, 
This is just a short list. A short list for our congregation. Now, people would say, well, they, they inspired me. That's not the point. I mean, even the devil can inspire you. That's not the point. The point is, is it accurate? Our challenge is more on the accuracy. I mean, there are statements that are not accurate. That's where it begins. It, if it compounds, then others will conclude that you're probably a false teacher or you are a false teacher. Then lastly, third point, sealed. Although Paul instructed Timothy to set right the false teaching affecting the church, he also assured him of God's sovereignty. God is sovereign. Despite some people falling away, God knows those who are his. And uh, who are those who belong to God? There's a fruit again. They depart from iniquity. Let's read verse 19. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Paul explained God's firm foundation. One, he was telling Timothy, correct the false teachings. However, he might be encouraging Timothy, well, do your best, study well, correct these false teachings, but hey, to those who fall away, well, try your best that they don't fall away. But if they fall away, Remember, the Lord knows those who belong to Him. And those who name the name of the Lord should depart from iniquity. It is also true that God knows that false followers who confess Christ but do not repent. So God knows. Now that's why I believe in the preaching of God's word today. Repentance must be there. Now we say, uh, why are you saved? Some people say because... I receive them as my Lord and Savior. Now, why not you quote verse 19? So if you name the name of the Lord, you should depart from sin, which is the same as what? Repentance. So this may say, you know, you are saved because you prayed a sinner's prayer where you said he is your Lord. Putting out of context Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, that if you confess that he is Lord and believe in your heart, you are saved. That is so true. But please do not just limit it to just within the context of the whole book of Romans. And you add 2 Timothy, the same author. Paul is the same author of that. Romans and 2 Timothy. If you name the name of the Lord, depart from sin. So the gospel cannot be without repentance. You cannot say, now, if you have been preaching, just accept Jesus, and you told them they are saved, find a way to go back to all those people and clarify the gospel. Because you followed what was hearsay. Somebody was preaching like that. Somebody taught you this is how to evangelize. And you believed every word. You believed the method instead of critiquing everything that they said. So this is my critique to those who just say, easy believism. You just bow down your head, say a sinner's prayer, and say, Lord, you are Lord and Savior of my life. Ah, if you name his name, you repent of your sin. Please add that. In fact, Put that at the forefront because Jesus said, proclaim repentance for the forgiveness of sins. But then, try to run after everybody you shared in the wrong way. 
if you preach the gospel in the wrong way, but even if you cannot, that's why, how are we saved? What's the accurate answer? We are justified by faith. That's the accurate answer, not because you prayed a sinner's prayer. Because we are justified by faith alone. In the context of Romans, justified by faith or living by faith is opposite from the sins. So by having faith, it also means repentance. We preach the gospel. We try to be as accurate as possible. But then we are assured by God. Not everybody. God knows those who belong to him. Our job is to proclaim the gospel and disciple others. There are some who will fall away. So it is not your fault, brother or sister. God knows those who are his. Our job is to keep proclaiming the gospel and teaching God's word. So let us do what we can to address false teaching application. However, let us believe in God's assurance that he is in control. Some cannot say that God is in control, elevating the human will too much. And I think that is a dangerous play. Nobody, God is sovereign. What does that mean? God knows who belong to him. Paul the apostle, how could he resist the gospel, right? <laughs> can you imagine a blinding light suddenly come before you? How can you resist that? God has his ways, and they're higher than our ways. So what do we do? We see scripture, we understand it. We believe it. Some take the extra effort of philosophizing something to prove their point. I used to be that. I used to believe man is in control of his salvation. God already offered salvation. It's now up to you. Now, what do I believe? I believe we preach the gospel and tell people that they are accountable to their sins. And we challenge them to repent and believe. And if they come to the Lord, we know it was the Lord all along. God knows those who are His. Let everyone who named the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. You know if you belong deep inside you, you have turned away from your sins, but you know you're not perfect. And every time you sin, you feel bad about it and you ask God's forgiveness. You know, but you also know if it's not real. You also know if there is no real repentance within you, that all of this is just like some classroom for you or some religion, but it's not real. You were conditioned to be a Christian, conditioned how to sing songs, how to raise your hand, how to say amen, how to memorize scripture, but there is no real faith and repentance. You also know that. How do you know that? Well, if you're unsure, then that's a large part already. Why? Because it's the Spirit who gives you the assurance. It's the Holy Spirit's role to give you the assurance, not me, not your friend. We don't have the role to give you the assurance 
only God, only the Holy Spirit that is clear in Romans 8, the Spirit bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. It's not humans, but humans condition us. Oh, because you confess that He is your Lord, you are saved now. Humans, it's not humans who should do that. If they have real faith, the Spirit of God assures them, you're my son, you're my daughter. And suddenly what happens, then you call him Father. Father as real as it is from deep within your spirit. It's Father God. It's for real. Repent and believe in the gospel to belong to him. God knows if our repentance and faith are real. However, if we do not depart from sin, our salvation is fake. So let us humbly bow before him in repentance and believe in his suffering, death, and resurrection. Let me give you a poem once again. The Lord has graced me with some words. And uh, the title is Aim Accurately. Faithful men, not careless workers, what we truly need are learners. Not those who pretend to study, but those who interpret wisely. The aim is to accurately handle the truth diligently, so there is no shame, no mistake, to avoid teaching what is fake. False teachers we must all expose, and false doctrines we must oppose. When God's people, those with us, the truth with them we must discuss. From the faith, they will fall away, but you and I should always stay. Only through faith, only by grace, we can the word of truth embrace. The firm foundation bears this seal. The Lord knows those who belong to him. They depart from iniquity and respect his name's sanctity. Let's all rise and let us pray. We confess you are Lord, therefore we have repented of our sins. And once in a while we fall, yet we know you are children for we do not like it when we sin. We bow down in humility, knowing that we are wretched sinners, incapable of saving ourselves. We know that only through you we may be saved. Thank you for the reminders to remind us to be careful with the false teaching and stop the babbling of words that are careless. Teach us to be careful with your word. Teach us to be accurate. Forgive us for the times we were not careful. Now give us the heart to study, to read, to learn, to understand, to appreciate. Remove the blindness from our spiritual eyes that you may see the beauty of your word. Thy word we have treasured in our hearts that we will not sin against you. 
We are sinners, imperfect, but you saved us. Daily we struggle with this imperfection, yet we know you are there. You are there. Thank you, Lord. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of His Spirit be with you all. God's people say, Amen. God bless you. Good morning.